many grew up celebrating Advent? You're familiar with Advent and what it's about. How many grew up like I did in a more Pentecostal charismatic environment? You really have no idea. Yeah, so it's like 50-50. And so I, I grew up and we just never celebrated it. So it's always been curious to me, what's it about? Advent is a historical church calendar event where the church throughout the globe for a couple thousand years has taken the four weeks prior to Christmas and focused in on some words. And those words they focused, so the first one we looked at was hope, second one is peace, and the third one they're going to look at today is joy. And then we finish up with love next Sunday morning. And if you are trying to figure out your holiday plans, next Sunday we are doing an 8.15 and a 10, and then we do a Christmas Eve gathering Sunday night at 5, and a Christmas Eve gathering Monday night at 5. So if it works for your travel schedule, great, love it. We're going to have fun, be here. Uh, if you've been here for Christmas Eve, you know uh, we... We don't do a lot of Christmas carols during December. We do lots on Christmas Eve. It'll be great. Um, and if, you, if that's not enough for you, you have Spotify. Um, so Advent is something the church takes a look at. And really what we've done with this year with, with these words is just looked at them and asked the question, what does the scripture say about these words? What can we apply in, in our lives? And obviously Advent is a celebration of the coming of the king. And the reality is Jesus didn't just come for an event in time, he came to radically change everything. And so the first week we looked at what does it look like to have hope built in our life? What's the process that God will take us through to build hope? Last week we looked at this reality of peace and the peace of God, what is it? What does he want to connect us back to? Joy is a word that's, that kind of permeates the culture this time of year. It's on wrapping paper, it's, it's on every sign you can think of, it's on the radio, there, it's just, it's a phrase that, that is almost synonymous with Christmas. Have you ever noticed, how many are in a family that you've maybe experienced this or you're around people that are similar? You've noticed that there's a tendency at Christmas time for people to modify their behavior. Where they start to argue or maybe get in a, a squabble and then they'll stop and wait, it's Christmas, we can't fight. Anybody ever been around somebody like that? Anybody ever done that? It's interesting for me to realize that this phrase, let's say, because it's Christmas. If we look at the phrase, the word because means for the cause of something. Christmas literally means Christ's mass or the time of Christ. It's interesting to me that people, wherever they're from, whether they're believers or not, whether they have faith of any kind or not, will somehow inherently know this is a time when we should be joyful towards each other. And they modify behavior. All because it's Christmas. Now, Matthew will say, it, I mean, in, in the scriptures, Matthew will say it this way in verse 10. Chapter 2. Tidings of great joy we bring to you. It's Luke, sorry. I wrote it, I just can't remember it. Um, tidings of great joy, what does that mean? Think about it from this perspective. The angelic realm is making a declaration into the earthly realm. Heaven is saying something to earth. This king that's coming, this king, that's, this gift that's being brought to you, he's bringing with him a release of supernatural joy. We would read it and go, oh yeah, it's just a nice phrase, but he's bringing with him a release of supernatural joy. So for me, it's important that we ask the question, then what is joy? Because depending on where you're from, if you're like our family, an elf is a regular tradition. When I say, what is joy? You just think of Buddy the Elf standing in the department store and he's, I'm singing, I'm in a store and I'm singing. 
then he'll, he'll, re, he'll tell everybody the best way to spread Christmas cheer is what? Oh, marketing works. <laughs> Dictionary.com will say that joy, this thing, joy, this thing called joy is simply a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. Is that true? Because if that's true, then joy is an emotion. It's a reaction. It means it's something I can step into and out of. I just feel it. It comes and it goes. But what if joy is not a feeling? What if that statement, I bring you tidings of great joy, had nothing to do with a feeling? Because it's hard for me to consider that what heaven really wanted was a momentary feeling of pleasure for earth. Oh, we want you to feel good about yourself for a second while we tell you this king has come. Galatians 5 will say it this way. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering. So according to Paul, joy is not a feeling at all. According to Paul, joy is a byproduct of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. That makes joy all of a sudden something more tangible. Now when I say byproduct, it's important. It is the natural reality of God at work in us that we're living into, seeing increased levels of joy. But we still struggle in our culture because I think most of us, when I say joy, lean into the idea that it is a feeling. We, we, that dictionary.com idea is, is so entrenched in our mind. It's happiness. But I don't think that's what it is at all. Because there's a place in Hebrews chapter 12 where if there's a statement made about Jesus and that statement connects Jesus to joy. In verse 2, it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Now, if you're like me, the picture you get when, when you read it, who for the joy set before him, it's almost, I always go to like a dinner table. It's like somebody set something in front of him. It's like, so in, in my head, I, I've always read it and thought, the father just put joy in front of him. But in the Greek, if you look at what it actually means, it doesn't mean that at all. In the Greek, it's very, very different. Because some words don't exist. Set before him doesn't exist. Who for the, which makes this joy this object. What it really says in the Greek is, joy before him, he endured. The word joy here is kara, and it means calm, delight, and cheerfulness. So with calm delight and cheerfulness, Jesus went through what God gave him to go through. So immediately we have to push pause and say, okay, he's our king. We're disciples of him. How he went through life is how I need to go through life. So with calm delight and cheerfulness, I'm going to go through what he's put me in. Every place he's, whether it's work, whether it may, how many have workplace difficulties once in a while? How many just don't want to say so? How many have marriage struggles once in a while? You're like, my wife's here, I can't, I can't say that. <laughs> you know what I'm getting at. There's situations in life that we go through, but it says Jesus is going through an extreme situation, the cross, and with calm delight and cheerfulness, he endures it. My question is, cheerfulness, last time I checked, is not an emotion. 
Calm delight is not an emotion. They're both choices. We choose to be cheerful. We choose to be calm. We choose what we delight in. And so what we have here in the scriptures is Jesus connected to joy. And it's the same phrase, I bring you tidings of great joy, that there's a joy being released on earth. And what it says that Jesus was doing was actually making a choice to walk in joy. What I would love to highlight is this. Joy was a perspective, not an emotion. Joy is choosable, which means I'm in control of my joy. Nehemiah chapter eight, there's a passage maybe some are familiar with it. Here's what's going on. Here's the backstory. It's Ezra and Nehemiah speaking to the people of God and what has happened is the, the temple, the historic temple, their central place of worship has been destroyed and they've, they've made an effort to rebuild it. And so they gather all the people together at this dedication of the temple and they begin to read the scriptures and there's, there's people weeping and sobbing and most scholars will say the reason they're weeping and sobbing is because what's going on in their minds is they're realizing this new temple is nothing like the old temple was, that even though they rebuilt it, it's just not the same level. So what I would say is, if we put it into this language, their circumstances were disappointing to them. They didn't like what was going on. They weren't fans of it. So Ezra and Nehemiah teach a, a spiritual principle in this moment. And they speak to the people of God. I want you to hear what they say. Don't weep on such a day as this. For today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with a feast of choice foods and sweet drinks. Share gifts of foods with people who have nothing prepared, for this is a sacred day before the Lord. Don't be dejected and sad. For the Lord, the joy of the Lord is your strength. How many have ever heard that phrase? The joy of the Lord is your strength. How many had no idea it was connected to this passage? We say this phrase all the time. Yeah, the joy of the Lord is your strength. But we have no idea what that joy actually is. Oh, I know it's my strength. Great, what is it? There's some things here that give us clues and keys to what it is. We know it's a byproduct from the Holy Spirit. We looked at that in Galatians. It's something the Holy Spirit releases in us. I would submit that there's a partnership that we have to walk in with joy. The language that Nehemiah uses, do not weep. The word here is to bemoan in the Hebrew. And it means to verbally, externally express discontent and sorrow. There's a word we would use for it. Complaining. He goes on and says, don't be sad. Very interesting word. We would say don't be sad just means, you know, to cry and have a sad face. You know, we know like the little emoji that's sad. The word here actually means to fashion or to carve and it's connected with idolatry. It's a word that they would use to connect with crafting an idol. Wait, time out. Doesn't that feel familiar that we tend to focus and fixate on our situation that we're in with, and we make it such a focus, what we don't like that's going on, what's not working for us, and it, we can get so wrapped up in it that we become, it almost becomes an idol where it's the thing we focus on. It consumes all of our attention. This is the word that Nehemiah says to them. Do not do that. 
Don't complain, don't fixate on your problem. And then he moves into this more positive language. He says, go and celebrate. It's festival terminology. What's important for us to see in that, he tells them to move into the actions of celebrating. The only way they could move into the actions of celebrating is their festivals were connected to God's goodness and his provision. They were times where they would celebrate what God has done for them. So what he honestly says to them is stop it, don't complain, don't focus on your problem, turn to the Lord and begin to declare his goodness and his provision over your life. He says share with others. He calls them to generosity. I would love to say it this way. He called them to get outside of themselves and engage the world around them. And then he says, it is the joy of the Lord that is your strength. There's two words that we want to look at here, strength and joy. This word strength is literally rendered a fortified place or a place of protection, and it points to the idea of being secure. So what he says is this joy decision, this joy thing that I'm telling you about, it is the place where you can live in that's safe, it's secure. There's a place, there's an ability to, to almost transcend your difficulty if you learn this principle. The word joy here in the Hebrew is chedah, and it means to rejoice or to be glad. That's hard to figure out how to flesh out, but if you look at it, Hebrew is a pictorial language, so the pictograph of this word is two images. The first image is a wall. Now, we understand what walls are. Not hard to figure out. There's a wall right there. It separates the outside from the inside. It allows us to live in our creature comfort of 72 degrees. The second word, the second pictograph in this word joy is a door. A door is an access point. It's how you move through something. And what Nehemiah releases for them, this supernatural principle that's amazing, what he releases to them is joy, the choice for joy, the decision for joy, is a doorway to supernatural strength. I'm just going to let that one sit for a second. Joy takes you out of one place and puts you into another. It takes you out of weakness and puts you in strength. It takes you out of vulnerability, puts you in security. So to understand this and really break it down, I want to go back over what he told them. Four things for us that we can do. We go back to Jesus' for the joy set before him. I would submit to you that this is what Jesus did. These are the things that Jesus did. That they're actions that we can walk in that align us with joy. Because I actually believe the Holy Spirit is releasing joy to us, but we, we, we kind of sh short-circuit the process because we don't live in the principles of the kingdom. The first one Nehemiah says is refuse to complain. Refuse to complain. Do not allow it to come out of your mouth. I had a Bible college professor that would say it this way. Just because it went in your mind, it doesn't actually go to your heart until it comes out your mouth. Think that through for a second. Just because it came into your mind doesn't mean it's going to go in your heart unless it comes out your mouth. That there is something to be said for the willingness to have a thought Negative or positive, doesn't matter. Doesn't scripture call us to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? So it means it comes in my mind and I ask this question. Does this lead me to Jesus or away from Jesus? And if it leads me away from Jesus, I push it away. If it leads me to him, I allow it to hang out. 
Those are the things I speak out. Those are the things that I allow to come out of the mouth gate. But complaint, I can't allow to come out of the mouth gate because what complaint does is it begins to sow seeds of bitterness into my heart because what I'm really saying is I don't trust you in this moment. I don't trust you in this process. You don't have my life in in your hands. And so I'm going to tell you what I think about your leading of me. So Nehemiah's statement of them is refuse to complain. The second one I think is probably the most difficult. This word graven, this idea of an idol. He says refuse to focus and obsess over your circumstance. Because that becomes idolatry. I would submit to you that I think the enemy loves at times to bring situations into our lives that he knows will distract us enough that we'll so obsess over these that we miss God. We lose track of who we're supposed to be and where we're supposed to go because we're so consumed with what's not going right. So Nehemiah's word is refuse to obsess over it. So you're telling me I just can't, I can't have that reaction to my problems? Yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. But I'm not saying it, the scriptures are. I think there's a danger in our culture. We want to give so much room to what we feel. Feelings are wonderful servants and terrible masters. Nehemiah's statement to them is because you don't understand what's going on, because it doesn't look great to you, I want you to do some, a couple things. I want you to make sure to close your mouth and not speak against the Lord in it, and I want you to quit obsessing over it. Why? Because when I forget, when I quit obsessing over something, what I'm saying is, I know I'm powerless to change this. I'm going to sit in my powerlessness and trust you, God. Church, that is the definition of faith. To be able to hang on to the word of the Lord amidst circumstances that don't make sense. Circumstances we don't like. Jesus makes a statement that I love. Hey, Father, I don't really want to do what you're asking me to do. But I'm going to do it anyway unless you take it away from me. You see, that's a different posture entirely. And Nehemiah will go on and say, there's a positive thing. I want you to, instead of those two things, set your focus on his goodness. Actively celebrate his goodness. Have you ever tried to just make the decision to bless the Lord for every good thing in your life when in the midst of when life's difficult? It does something inside of you. It changes your perspective because now you're aligning with his goodness and who he is instead of allowing the areas that are difficult to overwhelm your view. For me, it's worship. But worship is not a moment in time that we play music. It is a lifestyle that I'm leaning into him and I'm declaring his goodness. I'm trusting him with my life and I'm just letting it come out of my mouth all the time. I actually think it's great for your ears to hear your mouth declare his faithfulness. And then Nehemiah says, I want you to set your attention on others. In that moment where you're tempted to just focus on yourself and how it's not working, I want you to step into an action of loving other people actively. Gary Peters, Gary was up here. Gary's been my pastor since I was 14. Gary used to teach a principle when I was young. He would say it all the time. There's something incredibly supernatural that happens when I trust God with my problem and step into serving and just, and just tell him it's yours, you can take care of it. All of a sudden, he starts meeting things like never before. 
I would challenge you to do this study. Find me a place where Jesus ever complained. You won't be able to, never once. Instead, what we see him do is focus and stay the course of what God gave him to do. And my admonition to all of us is that's what we need to be about. Focused people that have a, we know what God has said to do. We know how he's told us to live. We're just gonna stay the course and be faithful to it. You see, because distraction does just what it says. It distracts you from your purpose. And if you're distractible because your lousy circumstances will so consume your worldview that you'll never be able to accomplish your goal, the enemy doesn't have to do very much to move us off target. There's one more thing I want to look at in joy. We go back to Hebrews 12. There's a phrase that says of Jesus, for the joy set before him endured the cross. And it says that he despised the shame. Despising the shame he has set down now, the right hand of the throne of God. This word shame here is, is disfigurement or difficulty. So despising the situation that was pressing in on him. For me, the picture I always get is like that, the Rocky movies. You remember when they slow it down and the glove hits the face and the whole face kind of contorts and gets a different shape? It's those kinds of situations in life where, where the pressure of the situation, the pressure of what we're going through is shaping us. It's changing us. But it says that Jesus despised it. The word here means to think little of. It doesn't mean he looked at it and went, you don't matter. It means he didn't actually allow himself to fixate on it. He wouldn't allow it to be something he thought a lot about. When it comes to making the choice for joy, and we know that it's a byproduct of the Holy Spirit, so we know that the Holy Spirit is constantly at work in us to release joy. When it comes to, to making the choice to align with that joy, Part of it is being willing to just say, this difficulty doesn't define me. But that can only be said if my identity is rooted somewhere else. We looked at the word kara in the Greek. There's a second meaning of this word kara that's used in the science worlds in early Greek. And it means to stay in alignment, to stay connected. They would use it to talk about the planets and the way the solar system was interconnected and how as long as every planet stayed in its right trajectory, its right rotation, that everything worked. So the idea is to, to be lined up correctly and to stay in that alignment. Jesus in John 15 will say, if you abide in me and I in you, well, this word abide kind of glasses over our head because it doesn't carry a lot of meaning in English. What he says is, if you will stay connected to me and I'll let me stay connected to you, you'll be able to do all kinds of things. But the reality is, if you're not connected to me, you actually can't accomplish anything in life. And church, I would say it this way. Some of us don't walk in joy because we're trying to do it without a connected relationship to Jesus. We're trying to figure out how to produce joy without staying in right alignment to him. You see, in every situation we face, we have the choice for joy or the choice for fear. Fear is a response because I can't control what's going on. Fear looks like complaint, looks like bemoaning, looks like obsessing over my problem. But you see, joy looks very different. Joy looks like worship. It looks like a, a choice to celebrate God's goodness. And I know at times they're like, I, people like that drive me crazy. It's like they're ignoring what's going on. That's because there's a principle in ignoring it. 
There's a principle that says I'm not ignoring it. I'm actually putting it in his hands because I trust him who's true, him who's faithful. He's the one that can shape it and change it. I can't, so I'm not going to allow it to consume me. Instead, I'm just going to stay my course, focus on him, and trust him with the details. All right, let's stand.